Now, as we, as we, before I read these verses, uh, I think it's, it's, it's important for us as we kind of set the stage here for what we're going to be talking about. You know, when a person believes and confesses Jesus as Lord, their nature is completely transformed. Salvation isn't improvement on what's already existed. It's a total transformation. The New Testament speaks of, of, of believers having a new mind, a, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, and, 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 and many other things that, that, we, that we receive that are new. And, and it really is all summed up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the new nature in Christ that we have, it isn't added to our old nature. It replaces it. So this old self, it dies, and then this, this new self lives. They don't coexist. There is no, oh, my old self and my new self together, and we move forward. No, uh, if, I am in, if I am in Christ, I am a new creation. I have a new self. Now, uh, you know, the, the, the believer, the person that puts their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, uh, as a, as, even though they're transformed uh, completely as a new person, they're not wholly perfect yet. Okay, there's, there's still uh, sin that, that is residing, right? Almost like a garment. We're going to see that later on in the next couple weeks. Uh, but, but almost like this garment uh, that, that we have is like sin that's on there, like this stain uh, that, that, that we're trying to remove or take off. And, uh, but, but the beauty is because of our new nature, just as Romans 6.14 affirms that sin, uh, although uh, it's, it's there, uh, it, it doesn't reign anymore. It, 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 it's, it's not uh, dominating us. It's, it's not controlling us anymore. We're not under that. We're now under grace as a result of this new nature. And in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32, believers are called to live out their new identity in Christ with a lifestyle that is different from the world and different from their pre-Christian past. And so, so this is a very important topic for us, maybe now more than ever, because I see right now, I see Jesus followers uh, more often than not trying to, to fit into culture, not trying to transform or redeem culture. We want to do everything that, that, that people who don't follow Jesus do. We want to do everything that they do uh, and, and to the full extent and, and, and all of that. We want to participate in everything uh, that they're involved in. We want, we want to look that part, except for us. It's just at the end of the day, it's that one little line that we'll throw on, oh, I'm a Christian, uh, or we'll throw a verse there on one of our posts or something like that, or, or we'll throw out a glory to God or, or praise God, you know, and, and that. But outside of that, essentially, we look and sound and act just like people that don't believe in Jesus. And when we actually look at what's driving us, it's our culture that's driving our actions, our beliefs, and motivations. And at the end of the day, we look no different as Jesus followers than those in our culture who do not follow Jesus. And in verses 17 through 19, which I'm going to look at here with you, it said that we read that Paul first gives characteristics of people who are not Jesus followers. 
So what he's going to do here in verses 17 through 19 is he is going to give us specific characteristics of those people who do not follow Jesus. Essentially, what he's saying is, don't do this. And if this is you, stop doing it. <laughs> now, there's certain sermons when I prep and prepare for them, and, and I look at the verses, and, uh, and, and you know, as, as at Ecclesia, we go verse by verse. It's like, oh, there it is. It's coming. We can see it coming. Like, this is just one of those sections that, honestly, it's really convicting. It just is. Because Paul literally is going to call out and bring to the forefront specific things that we should not be doing. And, and yet I know that we struggle with these things. I know that the things he's going to talk about are things uh, that connect to our culture. They're things we're struggling with, we're battling. And so uh, he is going to literally say, you should not be doing this. So let's look at what is this. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Paul begins with a strong, urgent exhortation or appeal. Okay, so some translations read he's uh, insist or instead of, instead of, he says testify there. But Paul stresses the importance of his appeal by saying in the Lord. Did you catch that? He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Now, what he's, what he's doing there is he's pointing to the source of his authority. The source of the authority here is Jesus. And so the warning that Paul is about to give, he's, what he's essentially saying is this did not originate from me. This didn't come out of my own personal convictions or my own, or my own you know, standards. Uh, this came from God. These are God's standards. See, many of us grew up, uh, and, and, and you know, however we grew up with, with the parents that we had, the mom or, or, or our father, you know, like we grew up, and, and there were certain rules that reflected their standards, right? So as we were growing up, we knew, I can't do this. Uh, that's mom's rule. That's dad's rule. Uh, I'm not allowed to do that, right? It, it was a reflection of their standards. Paul is saying, listen, this isn't a reflection of my personal convictions, my standards. This is literally God's standard for those who belong to him. Now, what's his intense appeal? What does he say? Essentially, he says, do not live like non-Christians, Okay? Now he says don't walk, but he's really saying don't live like, and he says the word Gentiles. Now Gentiles could be used uh, in the, the ethnic sense, but Paul used it in a moral sense as well, similar to how we might use the word pagan. So Paul calls Christians to live no longer like the surrounding pagan culture that they find themselves in. See, we can't accomplish the work that Jesus has for us by continuing to live the same way the world lives. See, the readers here, these, these Gentile converts, or converts they were brought up in the pagan way of life, right? That's the culture they grew up in. Like, you know, like churches today, uh, the churches at Ephesus were surrounded by immorality, Okay, Ephesus was a leading commercial and cultural city of the Roman Empire. It had the great pagan temple of Artemis or, or Diana, and, and that was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was, uh, uh, and, but it was also, in light of this, a leading city in, in debauchery and, and sexual immorality. The, the temple of Artemis was literally the center of much 
of the wickedness that surrounded that whole region because she was literally uh, to them a sex goddess. And so the things that were happening in that temple, around that temple, are so twisted and distorted sexually, um, it, it, it's, it's awful. It makes you cringe when you, when you study it. And so the church at Ephesus, it's literally thrown into this setting. It's in this setting. Uh, it, it's surrounded by this culture that, that, that literally uh, these believers here, they find themselves in. And not only do they find themselves there, but this is also what they've come out of. Right? Many of the people there had come out of that lifestyle. Most of them. That was their background. You know, so, so as they're walking, right, they're walking by these places they used to go to and, and, and do things that they never should have done, they wish they wouldn't have done. And so as they're walking through the city, they're seeing these things, you know, that, that represent their past before Jesus. Uh, they're seeing for, former uh, people, uh, friends that they used to spend time with and go do certain things with, and, and they're walking by and they're seeing them, and it's a reminder of what they've come out of, but it's also what? It's a temptation that potentially they could fall back into. See, they, they, they faced these, these temptations to go back to their old ways, and Paul admonishes them to resist it, resist that. See, you and I, we run into these same issues, okay? Especially like, like for some of you uh, that, that right now are watching from Eugene Springfield, maybe you grew up here, uh, there are certain places that you don't even drive by. There's certain places you don't walk by because you know that you have participated or done or experienced some things there that, that do not align with your lifestyle now as far as you trying to follow Jesus. There are certain people that honestly, you're like, I cannot be around them or, or participate in the things they do uh, because I know that will cause me to go back into a lifestyle that I have come out of. And so we have to be so careful about that. We have to guard against that. And, and, and what's sad is, is, honestly, I see so many Jesus followers fall back into the very things that they ran away from. I see so many people run back into or, or, or fall back into the things that they actually were fleeing and they ran to Jesus' arms. The things that drove them to Jesus, they've now fallen back into. And it is so sad. And so maybe some of you right now, you really need to hear this. He urges the Christians to put off every trace of their past life as if it's almost like this muddy coat. There should be a change in their lives. Paul reminds the Ephesian Christians that before they came to Christ, they lived in the futility of their minds. The word there, futility, uh, in the Greek it translated, uh, it expresses meaninglessness, uh, uselessness, worthlessness, or, or emptiness. And that's the mindset that people have outside of Christ outside of following Jesus. That's their mindset. The life of an unbeliever is bound up in the pursuit of goals that are selfish, the, the accumulation of, of, of what's temporary, and looking for satisfaction in what's ultimately, as many of us have experienced, ultimately what's disappointing. It doesn't satisfy. 
As far as spiritual and moral issues are concerned, an unbeliever cannot even think straight when it comes to moral and spiritual issues. And, 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 and this is because, honestly, their thought process, if you're not a Jesus follower, your thought process is warped because, essentially, what do you have to stand on? What is that baseline for the decisions, for your uh, reasoning, for your thought process as to whether something is right or wrong, or even in, in going, is that of God or not? Because 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So, so they're not able to even identify and stand on that spiritual, that, that moral standing with God. They, they, they can't get there. You know, I was, I was trying to... Uh, I was, I was helping my wife hang up some curtains and I was putting in uh, the, you know, the, the rods and, and there's the hook that you, you put the rod on. And, and as I was trying to, uh, you know, drill in uh, the hook, I, 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 I was trying to make sure it was level. And as I was doing that, I kept looking at it. Um, but as I'm looking at it um, and then, and then I'm like, oh, that doesn't look right. And then, then my wife would walk in the room and go, that's not level and that. And I'm like, I mean, it looks level, but ah, I cannot get it. I had to go and get a level and put it on there and make sure everything aligned with that little bubble in the center in order to make sure it was level. See, in my own flesh, by my own eyesight, I was limited and I could not figure out what is actually the foundation of level for me when I'm hanging this. What is that? What is that, that baseline of what is level, what is not level? And I had to get something that I could put my hope and my trust in uh, in order to hang that correctly. When you think about somebody who is not a Jesus follower and they're trying to identify the spiritual, the moral issues that we wrestle through and work through in our day and age, it leads to futility because they have no, they have no baseline. They have no uh, level. Uh, in other words, everything is going to be based upon their opinion, their past, uh, their experiences, their relationships, and it's going to continue to evolve. And what we see, the word to describe that is futile. It's futile because they become their own ultimate authority and follow their own thinking. It brings emptiness. See Romans chapter one, verses 21 and 22, it says, for Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Salvation begins with repentance, which starts with the change of mind. And that's what he addresses first is the mind. And that's so critical because unbelievers and Christians think differently. We should think very differently. differently, And so as a result of us thinking differently in our mind uh, dictates our action, our actions should be different. We should act differently. A person's whole outlook and motivation should change when they trust in Jesus. In verse 18, it says, 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, the, to their hardness of heart. When men rejected God, as we just saw in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 21, uh, when, when it said, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts, it says, were what? Were darkened. Their understanding, we see, was darkened. The Greek word for being darkened is a continuing condition of spiritual darkness. The cause of their darkness that, we're, we're, that we, we saw is, is ignorance and, and separation from God uh, is, is, is the hardness of their heart. Their, in other words, their willful determination to remain in sin, rejecting the light and their conscience, okay? So, so literally, it's, it's, it's so important for us to see that it is a willful choice. It is a willful determination. When your heart becomes hardened, when we see uh, somebody living and operating in darkness, it is a willful choice, a willful determination to remain in sin. It is a choice to reject the light. I want to point out... Um, that once again, as it talks about being alienated away from God, because so often we're like, yeah, that's God. Why does God want to be distant? Why is God so far away? Like, do you understand who's creating the separation here? That's not God. It's these people are creating the separation. It's the people that are willfully rejecting. It's the people that are continuously rejecting, continually saying, I don't want that. I don't want to be about that. I'm going to pretend that's not even happening. Um, I'm just not even going to allow my mind to even go to that thought. See, they're creating the separation from a perfect and holy God. They're determining to reject him. And God says, if you don't want to see me, okay. It's one of the scariest thoughts. It's, it's, it's one of the things that I fear for. It's one of the things that I pray for people in. Uh, I pray that they don't continuously reject him because if you continuously deny and reject when you know he is real, when you know he is truth and, and, and all of that, but you continue to deny and reject, the worst possible thing that can happen to me is for him to say, okay, well then I'm gonna give you, you don't wanna see me? That's fine, I'll blind you to me. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator or the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So because of the hardness in their hearts, this hardness that was there, they are unresponsive to the truth. They're literally unable to, at this point, receive it. In 2 Timothy 3.7, it says, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. So the hardness uh, that we see here and that we, that we read in this verse, hardness was used by physicians uh, to describe the, the calcification that forms around broken bones and becomes harder uh, eventually than the bone itself. It was also used of the hard formations that sometimes occur in joints and cause them to become immobile. So the heart of, of the person who continually chooses to sin, because, and whenever I say sin, it is, it is literally choosing to do something in opposition to God. 
The heart of the person who continually chooses to live that way, they become hardened and paralyzed to spiritual truth. Insensitive to the things of God. They're hardened to it. So because of the willful rejection over time, they are hardened to the point where nothing can get through anymore. It's so thick. They've built it up. They've built up that rejection over such a long period of time, and they literally are completely insensitive to the things of God. Some of you know people like this. Maybe you're even watching right now, and that's you. You're like angry. It's been going on for so long. And I want you to know this. This is an important part of this. When we think of people's hearts being hardened, Satan plays a huge role in people's blindness and hardened hearts as well. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, we read, In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, he's encouraging and affirming their refusal and denial of God. He's encouraging that. He's cultivating that. He's trying to remind them of all the things about Christianity, all the things about God uh, that, that, that seem to be wrong, not fair. He's going to point all those things out. In fact, he's not, even going to, he's not only going to do that, he's going to make sin look like it's fun. He's literally going to make sin look so appealing. And, and, we, and when you think, well, why? Why does sin look so fun? Why do you think? The enemy wants people to fall into that. The enemy wants you going out, spending all your money, drinking all of that, doing all of that, all these things. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to fall into all of these traps. And so how is he going to get you to fall in? Well, it's going to start up here in your mind, and he is going to, to make those things start to become and to look appealing to you. And, 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 and like I've never seen a day and age when we can so easily become manipulated into things. And, and listen, a part of it is, is we watch and look at other people and how they live. We see all these people posting, oh, I'm going out again, da, 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 da. I'm doing all this. And we see all these posts that highlight a great night, a fun night, and all of these things. But you know what? Every time I see those posts, every time I see those advertisements, I am reminded of a life I fled from. I am reminded of the pain. I'm reminded of the mornings. And I know, and if you're one of those people right now, I know how you're waking up. I know how you feel in the morning. And if you're a Jesus follower, I know you're not okay with that. I just know. I've been there. And the enemy wants to continue to construct in your mind that that is satisfying and, and that you should be about that and that you should be going after that. And the other thing the enemy is going to try and do, uh, we, we see, is, is literally uh, he is going to try and, 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 and rip apart anybody that, that is looked to, looked to as a spiritual leader. He is going to try and tear them down because if he can do that, he can affirm to people that were already skeptics or maybe on the fence that, yeah, not only... Is a life outside of God more fun? But guess what? A life with God is hypocrisy. And those spiritual leaders, man, that's not real. That's not authentic. 
And so that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to reinforce his message. He's trying to harden hearts. He's trying to get people to continue to reject. And that is what he is after because he knows if he can harden the heart, what happens is a growing inability of the conscience to convict people of any wrongdoing. And that is a scary place to be. Because Romans 2, Romans 2.15 says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the conscience that, that we have, that God has built, the conscience serves as a witness, it says, to the law of God that, that he's implanted within us. But as you habitually ignore that, as you habitually ignore, and if you're a Jesus follower, as you habitually ignore that conviction, you will start to experience a hardness of heart. And if that is you right now, whether you're a Jesus follower or, or not, I beg for you to reconsider where you're at right now. I plead with you. Verse 19. It says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have become spiritually and morally callous, no longer feeling pain. Uh, you know, you, you, you think of the calluses that can form, you know, uh, you know typically right, right in here, right? You get these calluses and, and you can pinch the skin. You can even peel off some of those layers. You don't feel a thing. And, and when people continue to, to sin and to turn themselves away from the life of God, they become apathetic and insensitive about moral and spiritual things. In other words, uh, things that should and maybe even used to bother them they doesn't bother them anymore. They're calloused. They don't even feel it. They don't even see it. Doesn't hurt. And not only in what they see, but also what they're doing. They don't care about the consequences of their thoughts and actions. They don't care what other people think uh, of them. And we see in 1 Timothy 4.2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are Seared, your seared consciences. They don't even, it's like, it's like whatever. Nothing bothers them anymore. And if it doesn't, if it bothers God, that's okay, whatever. And literally we have Jesus followers and we have non-believers in that same camp. And you go, How? How? Because unfortunately, people that say, I follow Jesus, a lot of times will allow the enemy to take footing, allow the enemy to get us to continue to reject truth and get us to fall back into something over and over and over. And all of a sudden, it has become calloused and you don't even see it. You could hear a sermon where I specifically say it and it doesn't even impact you. It doesn't hit anywhere there because you have built up such a callousness to this area of your heart that you don't even have feeling there. In fact, in your mind, it may not even be real. What a scary thought. 
And when I think about, uh, just as he's talking about the difference between Jesus followers and, and non-Jesus followers, our society has become callous to the reality uh, and to the consequences of sins. Like, like sins that were once hidden in our culture, they're now, they're now displayed openly. They're not only displayed openly, but like purposefully, blatantly. It's like, look, it's almost like, let's highlight this thing that used to be a problem, that used to be a sin. But let, let's, let's put it out there. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 32. It says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They, oh, this is huge. They know it's wrong. Even people that, that, that literally, they have nothing to do with God. They don't want anything. They know, even they know that that is wrong. And yet, not only do they continue to do it, but they approve and encourage other people to do the very same thing, even while they know it's self-destructive. Some of you watching this right now, you're doing that. And maybe you go, oh, I'm not, I'm not really doing it. Well, are you approving it? Are you liking it? Are you, are you encouraging it? Are you not standing up for, like, like literally, Paul is drawing a line in the sand. And he's saying, listen, if you are in Christ, these are things you do not do. These are things you are not about. And what we see, though, is, 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 is literally this callousness that, that, that is built up over time, this spiritual and moral callousness that, that leads, it, it literally says, to sensuality, the practice of every kind of impurity, it says. And sensuality refers to, to literally the absence of, of moral boundaries, especially in relation to what he's talking about here in sexuality. Sensuality is the idol here. It says that the Gentiles had literally given themselves to. They, it, it, I don't know if you saw that. It literally says they gave themselves to this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have given themselves over to sensuality. You know, it's not surprising that Satan goes after that particular area. Because when you think about him going after anything where he can distort sensuality, when he can start to distort sexuality, when he can distort sex, when you think of that, even sex right now, you think of the ultimate act of oneness, the, the, the greatest, um, literally, uh, the, the most intimate thing you can experience with another uh, human being, uh, this, this ultimate act of oneness, this gift that God has given to, to, for, a, for a specific married couple, and he has gifted that as a picture of oneness, of this incredible intimacy, and, and, and you go, huh, why would Satan choose to operate and to go after this area in their culture, but not only now or then, but now, and distort it and twist it and all these things? Why? What is it? At the very core of it, it is about 
about experiencing oneness and intimacy. And so he knows if he can distort that in, in relationships and all of that and distort what even marriage is a picture of, right, which is Christ in the church, if he can distort all that, not only is he messing with you, messing with your brain, messing with your ability to experience oneness and the connectivity that God has designed for you to experience, but he knows ultimately that will distort your ability to experience intimacy and connectedness with God. And so why do I talk about this? Why is he, why is he highlighting this? Because that is the culture that he is, is, is literally writing this letter to. They are surrounded by it. It's everywhere. People go, oh, well, this stuff wasn't going on back then. Are you kidding? All of the same things that you uh, are dealing with and battling and all of these things, the perversions of what God has designed, it was all going on back then. And Paul's writing this and he says, literally, uh, they have given themselves to it. You look at our culture as a whole, it's just given itself to that. And so if you're a Jesus follower, that shouldn't be you. And, and, and you need to guard that because literally, like I said, we like to say, oh, Satan's going after this and this. Ultimately, Satan is trying to distort your relationship with God. He's trying to destroy your ability to have this incredible intimacy, this oneness, this relationship with God. And he knows if he can distort and, and, and manipulate and confuse in that area, he's doing his job. And I would say he's done a pretty good job because it has impacted our culture. It has calloused a lot of us over to where even intimacy, when we think about uh, whether it's intimacy with another human being, uh, but, but not only has it affected and impacted that because of the sin, the distortion, the manipulation that we've seen, that, has, that, we've, that's, we've, that we've been confronted with and, and battled, but we see ultimately it has rocked our intimacy and relationship with God. And that is ultimately what Satan is after. You know, impurity, we see, is inseparable from greediness because it's rooted in a greedy desire. See, greediness is covetousness, a lust for what I want. Greediness causes a person to take whatever they can from those around them, right? They use other people for their own advantage. They, they turn their back on God to fulfill their own desires. And this greediness, we actually see greediness, greediness is idolatry. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So without standards of morality, immorality becomes a calloused way of life. And when that is continued, it destroys the mind's ability to distinguish good from evil and truth from falsehood and even reality from unreality. Ultimately, they're never satisfied, these people. They never have enough because what sin does that they're living in is sin creates an appetite for more. It's never satisfied. Now, here's the reality. The good news in this passage is that God can transform anyone by his grace. Amen? Many in the Ephesian church matched this dark description. This was their past. This is their struggle. But, but he was able to make them new creations, just as he's able to make you a new creation. 
The point is clear. As new creations in Christ, we are to think differently, respond to the truth differently, and act differently from our culture that is lost. And listen, here's the thing. It is never about, oh, I should never be around anybody that doesn't follow Jesus or doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. No, you should, just as Jesus demonstrated. <laughs> Jesus came to seek the lost, right? So he spent a lot of time with people uh, that were far from him or didn't know him. Uh, that's not the point. The point is to be in the world, but not of the world. That's the point. And that's hard. It's hard to navigate through that. And I don't think anybody other than Jesus did it perfectly. But the question is, as just as Paul has drawn a line in the sand, uh, am I going to be about that or am I going to be about this? And remember, remember, futility. Futility expresses meaninglessness, uselessness, worthlessness, or emptiness. That's what's outside of Christ. That's what awaits your mind, your heart, your drive outside of Christ. My question to you who are Jesus followers right now, why in the world would you go back to that? Why? Why would you go near that again? Because here's the thing. At one point, many of us ran into the arms of the heavenly father and we ran just like that prodigal son. We ran, we sprinted to him in tears, running away from all these things that didn't add up, didn't measure up. We were, we were miserable. We were, we were depressed. We were, we were full of anxiety and all these things. And we didn't know what to do, but we knew we needed the father. We needed a relationship with Jesus and we knew enough to believe, to put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. And so we literally sprinted to him away from those things. We went into the arms of the father. We received him. And you experienced a new life, a new birth a new nature, all these things. He transformed your life. But you know what? You do not see in that story the prodigal son go, oh my goodness, that was so great. I'm going to go back now. Are you kidding? No way. Just even think about that, what that does to that story. No way is he going back. No way. He's just experienced a grace he, he could never comprehend. He just experienced the love of a father that, that, he, that he can't even begin to describe or ever repay and it's, it, and it's fulfilling, and it's enough, and it's everything. What in the, why in the world would we ever go back to something that actually was something that drove us into the arms of the Father? That is in such opposition to the God that you say you worship and you love and you live for. A God that's given you grace. A God that's given you a living hope, even right now in the midst of a pandemic, that you know that you have a sovereign God who's in control of it all. And that even in spite of all these things, he's somehow working to bring about his perfect will, his perfect plan. You have that in you. Why in the world would you go back to futility? And so right now, if you need to make some decisions... If you need to receive him as your Lord and Savior, receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you just need to literally confess some things to him right now, I want to encourage you to confess him. Get him out on the table. Confess these things with him. Get made right with him. Get restoration with him. Experience grace from him. Deal with that. I know this is like a more, man, I'm... Uh, more convicting sermon and all that. But guess what, man? It's there and, and it's for such a time as this. And so we needed to hear this. We need to receive this. And, and I just pray that whatever he's speaking to you about, you just respond to him. Let me pray.